Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. Also, consider supporting our Patreon. That way, we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And joining the animation podcast for the first time, we've got my marquee co-host, Tommy. Greetings, Captain, and Donato de Mokagneshima, wherever in the world you are currently listening to us. It is an absolute pleasure to be amongst you, Captain, and Cameron, to talk about one of the best films thus far in this young year of The Rabbit. That's right. We are talking about the latest film from writer and director Makoto Shinkai, Suzume. Before we get into the film itself, I kind of want to see where everyone's at with this acclaimed filmmaker. Cameron, I'll start with you. I'm going to assume that you're the most well-versed in his filmography. Yeah, I've seen his movies very much since the beginning. Let's see, there was like The Voice of a Distant Star, The Place Promised in Our Early Days, Five Centimeters Per Second, The Garden of Words, Children Who Chase Lost Voices, and then, of course, the one that everyone has seen and knows about, Your Name, and saw Weathering With You back in 2019 at Animation is Film, where Makoto Shinkai was there as a guest for a Q&A. As everyone else has seen it, I saw Suzume in theaters because, you know, you have to see a Makoto Shinkai film in theaters. Tommy, what about you? Sounds like you're kind of on the opposite end. Tell me how you discovered this movie. Absolutely. Um, I'm unfamiliar with the work of Makoto Shinkai, but there was small talk of his work in passing conversation at a convention I attended earlier this month. Earlier this month, I attended Megacon in Orlando, Florida, which was a wonderful experience that provided one with memories that will last a lifetime. If one were fortunate enough to attend a panel in the N320 theater, they would see giant screens on both corners and one right above the main stage. As the spectator awaited these panels to begin, they would witness promotional material for future releases across a variety of platforms. This material included trailers for future releases of Power Rangers Once and Always, Elemental, and Gods. And included in this cycle was a trailer that stood out to me. I was unsure why, but as I sat there and I saw this trailer play, it took me back to times as an adolescent where I was sitting in a theater and I saw announcement teasers or trailers with such a unique saying to them that you could feel them speaking to you. As I was reminded of the trailer a few days later via Crunchyroll ad on Twitter, that was when I understood that the trailer was speaking to me in a mannerism that signaled, regardless of how the final product would turn out, I would be in the midst of something special. Having now seen Suzume, I found myself admiring and appreciating the wonderful world of Japanese cinema even more than I previously did. I love when everyone discovers anime in a way that like feels special. This certainly felt pretty special. 
Makoto Shinkai has been one of those directors who, well, I haven't seen all of his works. I know him through reputation, but Suzume was the first of his films that I actually caught in theaters when it was open last weekend. So to prepare for this podcast, I kind of went back to, at the very least, the rest of his disaster trilogy, which is Your Name and Weathering With You. And now this latest film completes a, I guess, unofficial thematic trilogy. So let's actually now dive into the movie itself. Cameron, would you like to describe the plot for this movie? So we follow a teenage girl named Suzume Iwato, voiced in the English version by Nicole Sakura. As she is going to school one day, she encounters a young man named Sota Munakata, voiced by Josh Keaton. He asks her about where to find ruins in her town, and she points him in the direction to find an old hot spring area that used to be like a small town and travel location, but of course, due to time and nature and what have you, is now abandoned. She gets a, you know, a bad case of the old curiosity and instead of going to school, goes to the location of the hot springs and in the middle of this big dome-like area, there's a door. She opens it to see a a star-filled sky. After just finding it kind of weird and, of course, discovering this weird little keystone that turns into a cat after she passes back through the door, she goes back to school and then, you know, goes about her day like, oh, nothing truly happened. And then she sees a giant worm-like entity exiting the forest but the thing is she is the only one to see it she leaves the school goes back there and sees that the young man from earlier is trying to close the door to prevent a cataclysmic event from happening she of course like they struggle but they do find a way to close and seal the door tight she takes the young man home and heals his wounds and he encounters the cute little cat again only for the cat to talk back to the two, and then turn Sota into the three-legged chair that Suzume had in her room. Something is connecting these doors, this worm-like entity, and Sota's now new chair look. And it's up to Sota and Suzume to travel across Japan to close the doors to prevent what disasters from striking that could include tsunamis and earthquakes. And for me, this is the most, like in terms of story, this is the farthest that Makoto Shinkai has gone away from his usual familiar tropes that are in his movies, which is usually young romance or like, you know, teenage romance and young love. Distance between individuals or the two people who are in love isolation and feeling disconnected from the world and here i think the thing that stood out like the most at first outside of of course his usual amazing animation and his love for star-filled skyscapes 
it's not really a romance movie because his last two films were very much grand epic romances. Yeah, you're pretty much right on the money. This is, in his previous two films, there are elements of natural disasters, like, as a backdrop of the narrative. This time, that is, like, more so the focus than any sort of romance. But something that I just really love about this movie is that it's not afraid to be weird in certain places, but also still be very, just emotionally powerful. Because for those who don't know, this movie was inspired by the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami and the impact that that had on, well, everyone in Japan. Well, it's interesting. A lot of films of recent years have come out and been a way for the directors to respond to natural disasters. Like if you've seen Mary and the Witch's Flower from Studio Panak, it was a response to the power plant meltdown that happened a few years back before 2017. And here, the main drive of Suzume are a few things. There's memories, the connections we make between people. And yeah, I would say a found family way of connecting the dots of like how Suzume and Sota's journey like have them encountering different people and seeing how they connect to the different locations where the doors are. It's kind of like Inuo from last year where the locations in question are all about remembering the memories that were there for the people that live there so they are not forgotten. And I just think that's really cool because Makoto Shinkai said in a recent interview from our friend Ruben he wanted to move away from his usual motifs and familiar story beats and outside of maybe like one little moment in the film I thought he did a great job with that from how he crafts like the cool worm like entity is such a creative way to represent natural disasters. It's not just like a giant whale or something. It's just this eerie, not from this earth entity. And the fact that only Suzume could see them is a unique touch that not a lot of movies go for. Like the visual presentation of this is all phenomenal. Tommy, your general thoughts on the overall package of this film? Absolutely. And I'll piggyback off of what you said for a moment when you talk about the interesting aspect of Suzume being the only one that sees what's going on around the country of Japan, its various locations with the portals. And when the writer takes that element, it's not only delicate, but it's a real gutsy risk to take because the surrounding individuals could look at the title character and think they're just a crazy lunatic, and that could be a turnoff for some, but it works out so wonderfully with that twist. I'm so glad, Mike, that you were able to bring that up. The thing that really stood out to me the most, well, there were many things, but there were three themes that really stuck out as described by the dictionary. 
The first being acceptance, which is described as the quality or state of something or someone being accepted or acceptable. Adventure, an undertaking that usually involves risks, an exciting or remarkable experience. And reflection, an instance of reflecting, the action of bending or folding back, an effect produced by an influence. These surrounding themes elevate the journey that Suzume goes on. It is something that someone somewhere needed to see. It's a journey, the type of journey reminiscent to what adventure is all about. Combining the elements together with the experience, the viewer could receive vibes reminiscent of live-action adventure, stories that would make children of the 1980s and 1990s feel right at home. And when viewing this adventure story, we are led by Suzume in a journey consisting of three acts. Their introduction, their journey across Japan, and then the falling action and resolution, which ultimately showcases the highlights of reflection and that powerful moment in the third act. But even as the third act runs on too long, which is the only negative takeaway from the experience, it's still a 4A5. And it continues this trend that if this trend continues, we are in for an incredible year for animation films. One of the few criticisms I've seen of the film that it was the one sequence later on when the ant comes by. Like, it's not like now part of the journey to go find Sato, who was then, you know, at this point, turned back into the keystone. Was that whole thing of self-doubt when the other cat deity was taking over the ants and saying, like, the deepest fears of of Suzume's connection with the ant. And I kind of get what why some people have targeted it as, like, their least favorite part, because it's like, okay, why do this? I think it was one of those moments of self-doubt, of, like, can she bring back Sato? She was questioning her her relationship with her aunt, and even though the aunt let those things fill out against her own actions, it's all about fixing what feels broken, which is also kind of symbolic of the chair, with missing a fourth leg and feeling a little scruffed up and such. I was beautifully to bring that described, up. Cameron. Beautifully yeah. described. Animations like that, you can look for the little details and they're like, oh yeah, I did that. That's on purpose. The whole journey is very interesting because at first, the cat does seem like a threat. You think it's leading, like it's opening the doors. It's more showing them where the doors are. Uh, instead of being like an actual like mustache twirling threat and whatnot. There's not really a villain per se in this movie. It's more the antagonistic force is cataclysmic destruction worm. When you get to that powerful conclusion of the second act, I mean, you would typically think, okay, that's the big final moment of the movie. And then you realize, oh, there's still, that's only the end of the second act and there's still more to go, which when done right can still work. But when we get to that whole scenario surrounding the act and that final moment of reflection and coming face to face 
with demons of the past, I guess you can call it demons. I don't. One other theme that that I neglected to mention was that of heartbreak. The title character and their overwhelming emotional feelings of love and loss. And when Soda, that feeling of I've traveled so far and now Soda's potentially gone, it brought back her own memories of the past and combine that with the revelation of the motives behind Dacian's dastardly plan. When the viewer sees that was what their true intention was, even though they were the antagonistic force, you really felt heartbroken in that moment. Like, it's sad to see Sota come to terms that like, oh, so this is my destiny. I am now going to be the one to seal away the the worm. And to be alone again. I mean, that's the one part like of one of Makoto Shinkai's reoccurring themes that does pop back in again is the feeling of loneliness. Just that feeling. And I know some people could say like maybe the characters are a little forgettable, but I liked the cast of characters that we encounter. Like the other schoolgirl that they encounter first that has the parents that run like the hotel and such. And then the single mom like a karaoke club or bar. She has like the two kids and such. That scene. The other thing that I like about this movie compared to the rest of the Disaster Trilogy, this might be the funniest Makoto Shinkai film. There's a lot more levity in this to sort of balance out the overwhelming threat of disaster. The scene that like cracks me up every time is when the kids are playing with Sota just that entire scene where they're like ripping out all of the tissues or just like making a mess out of the place. Suzume is trying her hardest not to just like completely lose it. Oh, that part was funny. This movie can be very funny. I like the banter between our two leads a lot of the times. And just every time Sota has to go back into disguise mode, like when they stopped all those oranges or tangerines or whatever from rolling down the hill it's like okay we got him and then he just falls over to the side i still find it a very compelling movie i would argue it's a more personal and more intimate movie than your name or weathering with you because like i like and love your name but i've been very vocal about how i did not like the earth shattering twist how the romance worked in that movie i liked it more when it was just about the two characters swapping bodies before the actual twist happens. And I'm just kind of like, oh, that doesn't work. But then, like, of course, I've come around to it and connect with it more on an emotional vibe. Where Weathering With You is definitely, it's a personal story between our two leads and about, like, what he's willing to do to make sure the person he loves is all right. I have to do, like, a episode maybe talking about your name and Weathering With You in the future. But here... It's more about Suzume healing and going on this journey of like self-discovery and just how like, yeah, she might not be fully connected with all the people she runs into, but it's all about making those connections and how there are people in the world for her, which leads into that great sequence at the end when it all wraps up from scene one to the final scene. Another one of Shinkai's recurring themes is that of fate and destiny to have the movie kind of bookend itself with 
that moment in the ever after it's a pretty powerful one seeing the film a second time i think that opening and ending scene hit me just a little bit harder tommy what do you think about the destiny one of the running themes throughout this film i can absolutely agree on that front because when you think about that destiny and specifically moving forward in the back of one's mind, there could be some hidden moments from the past that an individual may not realize they needed to confront before. And throughout Susan May's journey and leading up to that moment, especially in that moment of self-discovery in the end, it was emotional. It causes one to look back on potentially their own moments of reflection and discovery. I just think that tying a bow on it and adding closure in that moment is what really elevates that inspiration factor. Like it is all about self-discovery and like even the guy that was Sota's friend, the guy who was just like, yeah, he owes me money, the teacher classes and such. And it's just like, no, actually he doesn't owe me money. I owe him. It is about like people coming together and the bonds that they share. And the whole broken connection thing could also be matched with that guy's car. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> oh, percent. Oh, hey, the top of the car works and then the door just falls off. That part also got a big laugh out of my theater. Same. I also like that it's not really a romance movie. I mean, I love romance movies and romance anime and such. But a lot of people were like, well, she's falling for a guy that's like so much older than her. It's very much a one-sided affair. She's crushing on him and just also just the feeling of like their friendship and bond and such. But he doesn't really return those emotions back. That's how I took away from it, that it was a very one-sided affair. And even when at the very end of the movie where she reunites with him back on that same hill. She's obviously much older when that happens. So it's like, listen, there are some very bad age gap romances in media and in anime. This is not one of them. I don't even consider it an age gap relationship. Like I said, very much one-sided. He doesn't say like, I love you, Suzume. He gives her a like a very close person hug but it's not like a romantic hug there's a difference between romantic love and platonic love and i think that's what shinkai was going for in this movie like as far as the age gap like i'm not quite sure exactly how old these two are supposed to be but a they never really dwell on it so not really a big deal in context of the film but also, if it's not a romance, then this is just kind of going back to what we said about the connections that we make with the people around us, how those connections like affect each person. And clearly these two have had some sort of effect on each other. By the way, Suzume at the beginning of the film is 17. And by the end of it, though, it is very much like, I think, college. But that's just a guess because they don't dwell on it, like you said. You know, like another part that, of course, everyone loves about Makoto Shinkai is his gorgeous animation. Like to me, if you're going to direct an animated film, I want to see 
like what your style looks like. It doesn't have to be consistently 100% all different all the time. You can tell the difference between a Miyazaki film, a Takahata film, a Mamoru Hosoda film, a Naoko Yamada film, a Makoto Shinkai film. And you could definitely tell this is a Makoto Shinkai film from its designs, from, like I said, the beautiful landscape and sky view shots. And he's also one of those directors that's also doing a good job combining both 2D and CGI. We're going to be in that era until the anime industry fixes itself so where it doesn't have to feel like it's going slowly and slowly more into CGI. But the CGI looks good on this movie. 100%. And when I think back to one of my favorite movies of the year in 2022, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, you look at that style, that elevation of animation, and then you look at a completely different film like Suzume, and you can pinpoint specific elements where the animation was welcomely cranked up to 11 in key points. If the compelling story didn't match with those elements, it could have been too much of a distraction or too loud, not from a listening sense, from a visual sense. That just elevates it, the appreciation for animation and why it's more than simply a genre for kids. Exactly. Animation is cinema. Animation is a medium. But... I do have one question regarding Shinkai's work. Cameron, you would probably know this better than the rest of us. I noticed in the credits, this was like directed by screenplay and storyboard. Does Shinkai storyboard like all of his films or is this the first time that he's taken that on specifically? From what I recall, he does take a lot of responsibility with what he does with his films. Like he does color design and editing for a lot of his movies he does storyboard for some of them like he did it for the place promise in our early days and five centimeters per second he also worked on the cinematography and editing for children who chase lost voices it's a lot like how miyazaki storyboards the plot out first before he gets everything else worked out on and by the way Do not compare Makoto Shinkai and Miyazaki anymore. Shinkai has said he does not like the comparison on a multitude of levels of why he doesn't like it. And also, Miyazaki and Shinkai are entirely different directors, not just on a visual level, but just how they tell their stories. They definitely take control of how they want the film to look. That explains a lot of why when you watch a a Makoto Shinkai film, you know right from like, second one that it has their fingerprints all over it something else i want to talk about was the music not trying to compare shinkai to zaki but one thing they do have in common and i know this is a very loose comparison but they do like working with the same composers and this one has music once again by the rock band rad wimps and kazuma Janochi. Every director has someone they like to work with. Steven Spielberg with John Williams, Miyazaki, and Takahata with Joe Hisaishi, and Makoto Shinkai with Rad Wimps, who did the music for both Your Name and Weathering With You. It definitely has like those feelings of like the like fantastical epic 
feeling of the journey that they're on to as they traverse across Japan. And Suzume also has like a very eclectic soundtrack of songs that play during the road trip portion of the the film. And they are actually all real songs, like from the past and whatnot. You can Shazam them during that whole sequence and get an answer for every single one of them. I've actually heard some of them before. I thought they did a great job here. One of the more unique things is that Radwimps does have a song that they play during the end credits, but they also have a, another one that is played more in the marketing and is the second song that plays during the credits by, I downloaded the, the soundtrack. So of course I did. With a singer named Toaka, who does like the whole do 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 do, which gives the film this ethereal feel to it all. It's a great song that plays in those early trailers for the film. That's what I have to say about the music. Tommy, anything to add? Yeah, 100%. It was one of the, when you add that song over the end credits, and as you see reunions and their journey back home, it really adds to the emotion and once again saying reflection of both the story and the experience absolutely fantastic and just an emotional takeaway one of the best in 2023 so far indeed 2023 has been to a weird start with theatrical animation and just animated films in general because well we got nothing in terms of the big major films until this month as we are recording this, of course, with the Mario movie and Suzume hitting theaters, though, if we want to be pedantic, we saw some pretty solid films like The Magician's Elephant from Netflix and at the New York Children's International Film Festival, Mike and I got to watch the new Ernest and Celestine sequel, which was amazing. Oh, there is oh. one you're forgetting. Back in February, we finally got release of a film from the uk called the amazing maurice that one was really charming it's been a weird start but it's slowly starting to pick up and it's going to be a great year for animated films it's just odd how quick okay now we're going to get into like june here are three animated films and those are just the ones that we know of right now not counting netflix or any of the limited releases from the anime industry or Something like Unicorn Wars, which is just a twisted little film. Like in general, just for closing thoughts. This might be my favorite Shinkai film. I feel like this is his most cohesive from start to finish with how I feel about his filmmaking. Not to say that made his last, his other films bad. No, that's silly because I love his filmography. It just clicked with me from beginning to end. From the story, from the themes, the animation, the writing, the characters. It's probably my favorite movie of the year so far in terms of animation, but also live action as well. And it's going to take a bit for that to be dethroned, I think, for me. I will have to sleep on this a little more, but the more we talk about it and the more I kind of reflect on it, at the very least in terms of animation... I think this is my number one tied very closely with the Ernest and Celestine sequel. Everything from the animation to the music, the very emotionally powerful themes, and 
we didn't really get to touch much the English voice cast because there are some great, a great mix of like live action and professional voice actors. Like we already talked about Nicole Sakura as Suzume. Josh Keaton does a great job as Sota. And I think a very underrated performance is Roger Craig Smith as a co-worker of Suzume's aunt. He gives a great little comedic performance. Oh yeah, he was in that movie for not a whole lot of time to set up as like a potential love interest for the aunt. Yeah, he does a pretty good job. The voice cast is all in general pretty good. We have like Jennifer Sun Bell, Roger Craig Smith, Amanda C. Miller, Rosalie Chang, Allegra Clark, Cam Clark, Joe Zieha, and then Lena Josephine Morano as Daijin, and then Miki is voiced by Mila Lee. Like I said, they do a fantastic job with their roles. Overall, I think this conversation and just general reflection on the film probably cements this as, at the very least, staying in the top five for the year. Tommy, what about you? In this still very young year that is 2023, Susan A was my bronze medal recipient for those regular viewers of Renegade Marquee. And if this trend continues, what 2022 was for the genre of horror and genre films overall 2023 is destined to become a very impactful year for animation and its power and place in the art of cinema. So regardless of release and final product, as far as a critical standpoint, seeing the power that animation has on the art of cinema as a whole and those special feelings that a viewer has as they sit there and they watch it. The best way I can describe it is you hinted at it earlier, Mike, when Guillermo del Toro's acceptance speech, when Pinocchio won Best Animated Feature last month at the Academy Awards. Animation is not simply a genre for kids. It is a medium for art. It is a medium for film. And animation should stay within the conversation. And Susan May is a prime example of that. Yeah, no, just a beautiful, just grand scale film. And it's interesting to see the reactions to it because a lot of people love it, but some people are like, eh, I don't know. And then they think about it more and they're like, well, hot diggity dog. I like that movie. It might be one of those films that you have to sit down a little to take in everything. And I wish I could have had time to go see it in theaters again. I just didn't have time. Be sure to check your local listings for which version of the film is playing within the theater, whether it's the subtitle or the English-speaking version. And because either way, you're in for an incredible overall experience. Yeah, absolutely. If you can find a way to watch it, please do. Just There has been this weird little debate after the Mario movie came out where everyone was, or at least a lot of elitist film snobby people were like, the Mario movie succeeding is the death of cinema. And it's just like, okay, fine. You want to put your money where your mouth is? Go watch Suzume. It's also doing very well for an anime release. And that's good, but it's also like, if you're going to talk smack like that about animated films, then you have to make sure you go support the other things that are coming out. Not just the big studio films, not whatever A24 puts out, but like the stuff that G Kids, Eleven Arts, Shout Factory, Netflix, other small distributors put out. Like there's, oh, Mike, what was that one that got brought up that we had? A blind Willow Sleeping Woman. Go see stuff like that because it's not 
a animated film that's directed at kids or anything. It's a very art driven animated film for mostly like young adults to adults that would actually get it. So like you got to go out and support stuff like Suzume and Blind Willow Sleeping Woman. So, but of course, to be clear, if you can't, that's understandable. But if it comes out on demand, definitely give it a watch. Is a theatrical experience. And so if you are able to see it within your neck of the woods, please, please check it out. It is an experience unlike any other. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic movie. Congrats, Makoto Shinkai, on the success. And I can't wait to see what he does next. Same. So I believe that wraps up this episode. Before we head out of here, first of all, Tommy, thank you for uh, stopping by the animation office. Where can people find you online? Well, Captain, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And Cameron, thank you so much for, it's been a pleasure talking to you as well. Same. Listeners, you can find me on Twitter at T underscore Hughes 35, YouTube, Snapchat, and Instagram at the T Money 35. And if you are hungry, I apologize in advance, but you can also follow me on my second Instagram, Cooking with T Money, where you can see some of my cooking recipes. Uh, be sure to check out my work on comic book resources. Uh, be on the lookout this week for my thoughts on continuity within the Power Rangers franchise, specifically with Power Rangers Once and Always. And uh, be sure to check out my work for the My Paper publication, where my latest feature is centered around author Sue Steinhardt and her book series, Imperfect Phil. And also check out my work on Last Word on Sports and follow along this season of Formula One and the NTTD Data IndyCar series. Cameron, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at CamsEyeView. I have my own website called CamsEyeView.biz, where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview. That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. You can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash RenegadePopCulture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., and last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Mean escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.